0: If the last time uh, you were here, if you happen to miss last week, the last time you were here, we were in in Genesis and now we're in Exodus. You have not experienced some time warp (laughs) where we did the rest of Genesis and and the first couple of weeks of Exodus. Uh, We have not done that. Uh, We are in the middle of a very short series here on Exodus 3. We're looking at uh, the sinfulness of humanity. And we're looking at uh, slavery, the connections there uh, to the story here in Exodus, and salvation. How they experienced it and how it's a foreshadow of how we experienced it through Jesus Christ. So uh, the the very first thing uh, today that uh, we want to learn, the title here is, The Foundation of Trust is We Are Not Sufficient. Uh, It is very helpful for us as human beings to know our limits... Uh, one of the ways, uh, unfortunately, in, in my own life in which I have uh, understood my limits is that I have attempted uh, many times to qualify for the Boston Marathon. And uh, I've, God has spoken uh, through all of my fumbling and bumbling and training and trying and, and everything that, that right now, that's a limit that <laughs> I have not been able to bust through. And it'll probably be a while before I try. I'm just tired of uh, failing, actually. And so uh, that's the way it goes. You you have the same result so many times, you just say, okay, well, uh, maybe I need to not do that anymore. (laughs) And Be reminded again that I can't quite do that. Uh, I'm sure I'll try at some point, but we have to know our limits. Maybe you, you have thought about something that you attempted or you've tried and, and it's just been a, a limiting experience. You get to that point in your abilities and you go, I know there's my, my ceiling, that's my limit. Uh, we, see, we see this today in this passage. We are going to learn something so true and so helpful about who God is uh, today, but we can't do that until we, as people, human beings, men, women, children in this room, who say we are not, we are not who God is. We are sufficient, and we are lower. And in order to exalt God, that we would lower ourselves. This is what's happening. This is what's part of the story. So, under the limits of man, we see today uh, that Moses, in some senses, uh, Moses underestimates. Uh, himself. He doesn't know what to think. Uh, He is walking along. There is a bush that is on. This is not the actual bush, by the way. This is an artist's rendition in case you thought that we had an actual picture from Exodus history. We don't. Uh, This is just something to get your mind going, but a bush is on fire and is talking uh, to Moses, and it is the voice of God. And he is saying these things. And Moses, uh, like any one of us, really would, does not know what to do. He, he thinks about uh, himself. He thinks about God. He thinks about others. And, and there is a lowering of himself. So at this point, I'm going to have Ryan come on up. And uh, if you were here last week, uh, Ryan uh, ended early. And he's going to build us just a little bit of a bridge from where he was. Uh, if you See, I was on the inside, and so I had my, my outline filled out. I knew all the blanks, but the rest of you didn't. And I want, to, I want Ryan to share just for a couple of minutes this morning about uh, Moses being a, an unseen savior. And there was one other one. Unknown. Uh, Unknown and unseen. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Share Thanks. that with us. Just yeah. a little bit, Ryan. Speaking of the limits of man, yeah, there's limits of time and my understanding of time and all of that. So I appreciate the opportunity to just, uh, especially for those of you who may lean on OCD and maybe had an uh, unsettled feeling because you had some blanks that weren't able to be filled out at the end of last week. I apologize for that. Uh, But uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the real big thing that was impressed upon me with this passage here the first part was a slavery unseen, and how uh, the Hebrews, they knew very clearly of their slavery. It, it's obvious. I mean, they had to go and work for other people. Uh, their children were were killed. All of the male babies were, were killed, thrown into the Nile, right? There was no debate about, hey, we are in slavery. We are forced to do things that we don't want to do for no pay. But the The drawing of that out to today, we know that sin and slavery are linked, and so we think about the people who are enslaved today. Now, yes, there are very real people who are enslaved today, such as human trafficked people or uh, people like children in slavery, but but what about people who are enslaved and they don't know it? So that slavery is unseen, right? Um, People who are enslaved to sin, habits, addictions, Uh, There's all sorts of issues that people are in, in slavery under, and they don't even realize it. You know, you're born into something. You think that something is normal, and you think, this is just how life is. I guess my parents scream. Or I guess most people are are born uh, with an alcoholic father, or they think this or that, and they just think that's how life is, and so they they go through this world thinking, hey, I guess that's that's what life is, and so we we work with people who are in slavery and they don't even know it. Um, even the Hebrews, they were reluctant to leave the slavery. We find out from the rest of the story how much harder then is it for a person who doesn't realize. I'm enslaved to sin. There's a problem with me. How much harder then is it for them to leave that slavery? The other the other quick point I'd like to make here real quick is uh, a savior unknown. A savior unknown. When when Moses comes to this burning bush, God introduces himself as I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean it and and we get it. Why does he introduce himself like that? But, you know, just a moment ago while we were doing the meet and greet, Uh, I was just introducing someone to someone else. I said, hey, this is so-and-so. And And the immediate connection wasn't just, okay, it's nice to meet you. It's, hey, you might have known my grandparents. Or do you know this person? I'm connected to that person. So you don't have a one-to-one connection with that person. You have like, Six degrees of separation, if you've ever played that game, right? You have to relate everybody to Kevin Bacon or something like that. Well, God is right there, and he's saying, hey, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses is like, okay, I don't know who you are, but I see a burning bush, and I came over. Okay, great. And so for our our people today, uh, they don't know this God. It's not enough to just have a church with a cross and some stained glass windows. There's no one-to-one connection with that. And so not only... Uh, do we have our work cut out for us to help them understand or the Holy Spirit has to work in them to un- help them understand, hey, you're enslaved to sin, but also the answer is someone you don't even know. And that's through God sending his son, Jesus Christ. And, and they've got a lot of obstacles today, don't they? And so that's just some of the points that I just wanted to bring out. I appreciate the opportunity to do that, Kevin.
0: Very, very helpful. I think about Moses' role. Think about him coming into the situation. He's been gone for a time and now he's back in and and the people, he's connected as a leader to a group of people that God is going to to work in and through and there are some things that as we would think about our involvement in such a situation, we might ask some very similar questions. Moses basically says, who am I? That was Ryan's title last week. Who, me? That's... The, the concept that we're working with. Uh, one of the, the best, uh, or for me, most recent places that I've been in Scripture uh, that is a, kind of a direct parallel is in uh, the book of Judges uh, when we uh, encounter the character of Gideon. Uh, we're going to read a handful of verses here. If you want to flip over to Judges chapter 6, uh, it'll be verses 11 through 17. If you're a note-taker or a circler and you want to make some connections, you can do that. Otherwise, these verses will be up here uh, on the screen. There they are, 11 through 17. So uh, take a listen. Handful of verses here about God doing something very similar with Gideon. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not, or do not I send you? He said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Wow! Here is another character... God is speaking directly to this character who says, what are you talking about? First of all, if you were really real, then why did all this crazy stuff happen to us? I can't be the only person in the room who's ever asked God that question. God, if you're real, why is all this going so wrong right now? We ask those questions sometimes in our difficult moments. Well, that was what Gideon wanted to know about Midian. That's how he starts off his argument. Very common. Very helpful to us. God doesn't brush him aside because he asks that question. He persists. No, it's you. What are you talking about? We're a bunch of weaklings over here. Haven't you noticed? The weakest clan, weakest tribe, as me. And God says, no, you have the strength where these these characteristics where, where God gets into these arguments, when people get into these arguments with God, and they're calling, they're, there's this exchange, and God has to convince. Uh, in that sense, is such a direct parallel to Moses, who, who, who responds, who am I? Verse 12, today he said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign. And then verse 13, and Moses said to God, if I come and say, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? All these questions. You might ask yourself, thinking about this today, how does it look for somebody to lead effectively? How does it look for somebody to lead effectively? And if that person's answer is to explain to you, here's all my here are all my credentials and here are all of my qualifications and here is why you should believe in me and you never once detect anything in them that says, I'm not sure I can do this, I might consider running away. Real leadership begins with knowing you can't. Moses is not a weakling. Gideon is not a weakling. They are humans that God is choosing to use and the first thing they identify in themselves before God is, I can't do this. Which is exactly right. It's the hallmark of godly leadership. I can't do this. I need somebody to help me out and make this clear. So Moses underestimates. Himself, I want to show you uh, something that we bring up uh, repeatedly here at our church. Uh, This is a a statement that we believe in captures so much of of what God wants us to uh, be about and to be uh, doing and focusing on in the context and the life of our uh, local church. Uh, I have bolded out some of those words that we look at uh, sacrifice as we worship, grow, and and share together. uh, A multi-generational church. Uh, we're going to uh, do that across generations as we, as we grow in our faith, as we worship God. We know there will be different generations together. Uh, we know that we are located in the Kenmore neighborhood. It can be a challenging place, uh, good one day and awful the next. Uh, we know that it's going to require a wide variety of people. You may feel like I don't fit anywhere. Uh, welcome! <laughs> we're glad you're here. It takes a, a variety and we should be on the lookout for who God might help us to uh, connect with and then uh, finally that we would serve through bold and inspirational faith and that's that last word as we craft this statement is i don't have any idea how any of this is going to work neither do our leaders we have to be willing to walk each day each week each month in faith and to say god you have a purpose for us we believe this about what you want to do through us as a local church and it begins with an underestimation of ourselves Second thing Moses did is he compared himself to Pharaoh. If I go to Pharaoh, what who am I, verse 11, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. I want to challenge us today on its face it seems that Moses is concerned that he doesn't stack up to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's the guy in charge. Moses knows that the people are in slavery and Pharaoh is the human figure who has the power and the authority to let them go. And so in that sense, from Moses' view, he is focused on the human being and he he compares himself in that sense and says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? He's the one in charge. I can't do this. I don't want to tell any of you uh, today, so don't misquote me, uh, that we uh, should never respect people who have political power. Uh, God commands us to be uh, in uh, and under the authority of political and governmental leaders. But we shouldn't overdo it when it comes to our view of human leaders, the men and and women, uh, in our case, elected uh, to serve us. They are God's servants and God has a track record, I want to remind you today throughout the Bible, of humbling political leaders just like he humbled Pharaoh. You may wish today that political conditions were better... In, in our country or around the world for people to know Jesus. You may wish certain leaders held more biblical viewpoints. Uh, you may, all those things are great, but I want to remind you today that we can make a, a mistake when we focus too much on people. Now, let's take a look. Uh, I encourage you to flip to the book of Daniel. Daniel is one of the major prophets... That God called to minister to his people. When they were exiled in Babylon, their obedience uh, failed, and God brought about people to uh, minister. Uh, Daniel was uh, one of the key leaders, and here is part of how Daniel recounts history verses 22 through 24, and then we'll skip to the end of the chapter. So, this is a confrontation with Belshazzar uh, that he does not remember some of the things that God had done in the past. So you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them and you have praised the gods of silver and gold of bronze, iron, wood and stone which do not see or hear or know but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. So God communicates directly to Belshazzar and says, You have not remembered what happened to your father. You have not remembered that the the vessels of worship of the real and holy God have been yours and you have misused them in drunkenness and in partying to worship false gods made of human and created materials. That's what you've done. And so God then speaks this very clear word to him, shows him what is going to happen There's verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. God is able to humble human leaders. Moses, at this point in conversing with God, is considering himself compared to the greatness of Pharaoh, to the human governmental authority figure and doesn't consider himself up to the task. Pharaoh is a roadblock. We need to be reminded of the greatness of God. So what stands opposite of this? Was there some other person that Moses was going to find that was going to do something bigger and stronger than he was? He didn't realize yet God was calling him Him, he's still trying to find a way out. Opposite of this is that the faith wasn't in a person. The truth is that we need God instead. And so as we think today about the worship of God, I want you to know that God is sufficient. I have this table down here. And I'm going to ask if anybody... And I learned this in preaching class how to carry a table in front of a group of people without tripping and making a fool of yourself. Okay, so I just completed that. A for me. I need a volunteer. (laughs) My son has volunteered. Come on up, David. You can be in the sermon today. Okay. what do I have here? It's a puzzle. Are you puzzled what's going to happen right now? Come on up here. Turn around. Everybody can see you. We didn't plan this. Both have bright red on. I just noticed that. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to dump. How many pieces are in this? A A hundred. I want you to dump all of these pieces out on this table. And as they come out of the box, I want you to dump them in a way that the entire puzzle falls onto the table to look just like that. Isn't he cute? Can you do that? No? no? Well, you volunteered. You better give it a shot. All right, turn them over. What's going to happen? <sighs> Do you think that that looks like that? Yes. (laughs) You have a high estimation of yourself. You have good confidence. Thank you, David, for being in today's sermon illustration. Unfortunately, when David volunteers for things, it it often is a setup. (laughs) I know that happened with Ryan, one of the illustrations one time, so David, you just have to calculate that. This was a setup. Any one of you... Would have failed. If you're sitting there going, I could have done this, you're self deceived. (laughs) Moses asked God, Who should I tell them has sent me? Or has sent, yeah, who, who has sent me? That's what he wanted to know. And God said, I am. Tell them I am. It sounds kind of crazy, but here's the the big truth about God today that we have to get into our minds and we have to know is that God doesn't need anyone. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need this earth. He doesn't need any of us. God is completely self-sufficient in all that he is and all that he does. That is amazing. We can believe about our universe that a bunch of pieces from a puzzle just kind of randomly fell from the, the sky and the great stretches of the unknown of what never used to be and all, they just all organized themselves beautifully into the right picture. That is one option that we have in thinking about the formation of our universe and our existence. Yes, our existence as human beings and the the existence of our solar system and universe and everything that's out there is all in play in this verse, in this statement that God says, I am. It's all in play and so we have to think today Did this just happen? Did all the pieces fall out of a a puzzle box and just magically come together? That is one view. The other view says there was something outside of all that that caused it and ordered it and put it together. I don't know about you, but I'm going with the second one. That's our God. He is completely self-sufficient. You may wonder, why has it gone so wrong? You may scratch your head like like Gideon. We read about him. How did all this happen? Why am I in this situation? Even right now, you may be in here today struggling, wondering where God is in the middle of your darkness or the middle of your family's pain or the middle of the trial or the unknown or the doubts that you have. You may say, where in the world is God in the middle of all of it? can ask those questions part of the answer is that god is completely sufficient i'm going to get this out of the way and not trip if you came to me and you hadn't met me we'll go back to ryan's illustration of kind of meeting some people during the meet and greet and and you hadn't met me and says hey so and so I, i i'm you know jane or whatever your name is and i said hi i exist and I put my hand out, and I shook your hand, and I said, I exist. You might think, well, this guy's a little weird. I mean, normally it takes a little while after somebody meets me to realize I'm a little weird, all right? But uh, this one, you would, I'd put out my hand and say, I exist. But, okay, but what's your name? Moses asked God, who should I say sent me? And God said, I exist. The name is a verb. It's a verb of being. It's a verb of I am. And it's not just for Moses' little pressure cooker of a situation of being called to lead these people out of slavery. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am, a verb of being. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord this is a form of Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. We'll get into that a little bit more uh, next week. We'll make some connections. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And catch the end of verse 15. I don't know if you put this together. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Today we started our how to study the Bible class. And in the very first session of that class, I gave the, the class a challenge to think about. Is there a consistent, unified message in the Bible from beginning to end? I told him I think the answer is yes, and I think his name is Jesus. So let's think about this here in Exodus 3 and 14. Moses is being called. The bush is talking to him. God is supernaturally putting a burden, a mantle of leadership on Moses. And he says... Tell them my name is I Am. Now, let's uh, turn in our Bibles. We'll go to John chapter 8. I want you to see the Lord Jesus in his response to some of his detractors, uh, of which there were many. And, and sadly, the people who were Jesus' biggest detractors were the people who thought they knew God the best. They weren't ready to see the Messiah. They weren't ready to see the Savior who would come and preach faith and healing and and miracles... and and say, trust in me for salvation. They weren't ready for him. They were wrapped up in their own ability to earn it. They thought they were sufficient. They didn't realize God was sufficient. And so uh, verse 53 before this is, Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? So let's pick it up here at 54. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. Nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, Are you not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus answers their questions about who he is by saying, I am sufficient. It's so amazing. It's so encouraging that we would sit in the same swirl of wondering and doubting at times, and God, are you going to leave me? How can you save me? I've sinned so many times. There's so much craziness that goes on in the world. People are murdered and massed and enslaved and trafficked. And even in our own community, we see these things happen, and I can't, I can't square it, I can't struggle with it, I want to do it, I want to fix it, I want to go, and, I want to, and we want to do all these things. And, and we, sometimes we may be tempted just like this to blame God and say, where are the signs, where's the help, where's all this? And, and the answer is right here for us. His name is Jesus. He says he's enough. He says he's sufficient. He links back to Exodus chapter 3 from John chapter 8 and he says, I am. And it means I'm real and I will be in a now and I'll be forever. We have to know that. We have to be able to look at everything. We have to start with our sin. We have to say, how do I have a relationship with God? We want to say, I've, I've done so many good things. I've taken the right classes. I've treated the right people in the right way. I've said all the best things. I've, I've served my time. And we can say, God, look at all of these works and look at how worthy I am. And God would say, no, not enough. You're missing the one who is enough. His name is Jesus. He's my son. He came so you don't have to be enough on your own. Trust in him. That's exactly what Jesus is communicating to these people who think they're enough, or Abraham was enough, or their history as Jewish people was enough. They were trying to say, hey, we have enough. And Jesus said, no, before Abraham was, I am. It was a call to say, look at me as the one who is sufficient. Follow me, quit trusting yourselves. And I want to challenge today as we wrap up, what's the response? Their response, in verse 59, I'm sure you've read it. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. There are times, friends, when we probably want to pick up stones and say, "Uh -uh, I have this and we want to fire back at God and accuse him of what's going on. No, I understand this better, or I'll handle this myself. It's the same way. It's the opposition spirit of rebellion that we have in us toward God, and Jesus came not only to soften it, but to fix it. If we will trust in him, he is sufficient. He is saying, I am. The same language that God answered to Moses. When Moses had no clue, when he knew that he couldn't defeat Pharaoh by himself, he had no idea how to get the people out. What do I do? What do I tell the people? They're not going to believe me. He said, say, I am. Same message, same link. Now, don't panic. We're not going to sell you short on blanks today. All right? Don't panic. Here we go. Are you ready for the last two? Because God is sufficient... This point doesn't matter. Blah, blah, blah. Anything that's telling you that God isn't sufficient is like blah, blah, blah. I'm going to confess. I told our administrative assistant, she's wonderful. I told her, get me a couple of pictures that have to do with blah, blah, blah. And she made this one. And you know what? If the second point doesn't matter, then the third point doesn't matter. And here's the picture she made up for the third one. I could have edited that out. I'm just letting you know I went with it. Because I thought it was funny. Because it's true. If you're listening to me, all I am is blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you by my best effort what I think God says. Listen to Him. And that's not blah, blah, blah. It's sufficient. I'm going to get that off of there. It's (laughs) scary. It's making me nervous. Then neither does this one. Those are your last two points. Nothing else matters until we realize in our lives that Jesus is sufficient for our salvation, for our trials, for our forgiveness, for the very hope to wake up tomorrow, for breath and life. Colossians chapter 1 says he holds all things together. Think about that. And for eternity, the very last pages of the Bible show Jesus at the center of worship and adoration in heaven. I don't mean to diminish God the Father or God the Spirit. They're God. They're equally God. The message of the Bible is how Jesus redeems and saves and glorifies and is worthy of our worship and is completely enough.